Chapter Thirteen of The Road to Mandalay by B. M. Croker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Hadley. Chapter Thirteen Keep an Eye Upon Her. Gregory's proved to be a vast and imposing concern occupying a prominent situation on the Strand, and evidently doing an immense trade. All this the new assistant readily gathered as Salter steered him in the direction of the manager's sanctum. Here he found the head of the firm, a tall individual, with grizzled hair covering a fine square head, a hard, clean-shaven face, and a pince-nez which pince-nez he invariably removed when about to make a disagreeable remark. He received the new employee with an air of cool detachment, and shook hands in a manner that implied you must not expect this sort of thing every day. Being taller than Shafto, he appeared to tower over him, as he questioned him respecting the firm in London, which was but a small and insignificant offshoot, of the great house in Rangoon. Then he made a few perfunctory remarks on the subject of the voyage out, and said, I understand from Salter that you have found quarters in a chummery. I hope your housemates will prove congenial. He paused and added as a sort of afterthought, Mrs. Gregory is usually at home on Thursdays from three to six. Thank you, murmured Shafto. The principal then struck a handbell, which summoned an elderly man to his presence. "'Lowcroft,' he said, "'this is Mr. Shafto, who will take over Mr. Shaw's share of the landing business. You had better show him round, and give him instructions.' "'By the way,' turning to Shafto, "'I suppose you don't know a word of Burmese or Hindustani?' The new arrival announced his complete ignorance of either language." then you must see about getting a munchie at once. And with a nod, the new assistant found himself dismissed. On the very first Thursday after his arrival in Rangoon, Shafto presented himself at the barn, a residence purchased many years previously for the use of the then reigning Gregory. The house was large but unostentatious. The well-matured beautiful grounds and gardens were notable even in Rangoon. A recent acquaintance, who escorted Shafto, presented him to Mrs. Gregory, a smart, sandy-haired little lady of five or six-and-thirty, with an animated, expressive face, intelligent gray eyes, and slightly prominent white teeth. She was exquisitely dressed in some soft pale blue material, and wore a row of large and lustrous pearls. Among the crowd of guests, the newcomer discovered, to his great relief, several of his fellow assistants, and not a few passengers from the Blankshire, including Mrs. Millward, who hailed him with a radiant countenance and plump, uplifted hands. "'My dear Douglas, how I've been longing to see you! I'm off to Mandalay tomorrow morning.' "'Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm so very sorry to go. There's such a lots to do and see in this surprising place, but Ella has nailed me down to a date. Have you seen anything of Sophie? I mean, 
correcting herself. Miss Lee? No, I've been tremendously busy fitting on my new harness and have had no time for calling. And yet you are here, she protested with arched brows. Oh, yes, but this is official. Gregory as good as ordered me to wait upon his consort. Hush, hush, Douglas. She is a great friend of mine, my own cousin, and a dear. Of course, I knew that George looks as if he had swallowed the fire-irons, but that really means nothing. He is obliged to keep all you naughty boys in order. You think I'm a naughty boy? Oh, well, I didn't mean that, my young Sir Galahad. Now come away with me, and I'll show you the wonderful ferns and the orchid-house. I must have a good, comfortable, private talk. As soon as the pair found themselves alone in the fernery, she turned to face him, and said with unusual animation, Now I want to tell you about Sophie. I'm miserable when I think about her. Miserable? But why? When you've been to call it Heidelberg, I may tell you it's miles and miles away. You'll see for yourself. It's my opinion that she has been decoyed out to this country under false pretenses. Oh, but surely Mrs. Krause is her own aunt. She is, and more or less an invalid, utterly broken down by years of Burma. Mrs. Krause is apathetic, dull, and boneless, and looks as if you could fold her up and put her in a bag. Herr Krause is a fat, loud-talking, trampling German, not a gentleman, but a man with a keen eye to business. His wife's half-caste maid, who waited upon her, managed the house, and was with her for years, has married and gone to Australia, and poor Sophie has been imported to replace the treasure, that is, to nurse her aunt, run the house, and play the old bounder's accompaniments, for he, like Nero, is musical. He is also a friend of that odious Bernard's. Bernard is a well-known Prussian. I'll say that for him. The other is of the waiter class, who has made his money in China and Burma. Oh, come, I say, this is rather bad. What's to be done? I only wish I knew. The Krause abode is large and gloomy. It looks like a house in a bad temper, and stands in the heart of the German community. The servants seem a low-class lot. The rooms were dark and untidy, and smelled of mold and medicine. But Sophie was just as bright and cheerful as usual, apparently delighted with everything, loyal, of course, to her own blood. Now, I know that you and Sophie are friends, and I want you to keep an eye on her, concluded this injunctious matron. I'm afraid my eye will not be of much use, protested Shafto. I am most frightfully sorry for what you tell me, but Miss Lee has a lot of pals. There are the Pomeroys, Maitlands, and— Yes, that's true, interrupted Mrs. Millward impatiently, but she has no way of getting about. Kraus takes the car and is away in it all day. I gather that he has the strict German idea about a girl's being brought up to cook, to sew, to slave, to find all her interests in her home. In fact, he told me so plainly. He also added that he had paid for Sophie's passage, and implied that he intended to have the worth of his money, his pound of flesh. Brute! 
ejaculated Shafto. Agreed. I have enlisted one friend for the poor child, Polly Gregory. She is so clever, clear-headed, and decided, and will be a rock of strength. She is sure to like Sophie, eh? Oh, yes, that will be all right. I put in a good word for you, too, Master Douglas. That was kind, and he swept off his straw hat. I wonder if that's meant sarcastic. Perhaps you think good wine needs no bush? Yes, and I've told Polly I knew you as a boy, and how, instead of quill-driving, you hoped to wear a sword. Hope told a flattering tale, he answered with a laugh. Don't forget that the pen is the mightier of the two. No, she dissented. I backed a sword, though it's rarely drawn now, thank goodness. Well, I've said my say, and given you my impressions and instructions. We must go back and join the Borough Mems. I shall write to you from Mandalay and see you later, when I pass through to Calcutta. Now you had better go and try to get a set of tennis, and, with a wave of adieu, Mrs. Millward strolled away across the grass, an attractive personality, with her fresh complexion, soft round face, dark penciled brows, and bewitching mauve toilette, which toilette was subsequently tabooed by her daughter as too young. George said Mrs. Gregory to her husband, that new importation is a nice boy. Millie Millward has known him since he was in blouses. He has had rather hard luck. His father was swindled out of a comfortable fortune, and he has to turn to and earn his bread. What we all do, growled George. Yes, but in some ways we are so much more agreeable than others. His profession was to have been along the path of glory. What was that? Why, the army, of course. And now his profession is checking inventories and cargoes. As he is new to the business, he will have his hands fairly full for the next few months. So, my dear Polly, don't turn his head just yet. As if I ever turned anybody's head. I cannot answer for others, but you certainly turn mine. Ah, but that was twelve years ago. I'm afraid my fascinations have faded since then. Joking apart, George, Millie has left me two legacies, two protégés to befriend. Shafto is one. I am to invite him to tea and talk to him with wisdom, and win his complete and entire confidence. Oh, and the other? The other is Miss Lee, whom she chaperoned from home. She is living with an aunt, who is married to a German named Krauss. Yes, I know, a poisonous chap. So she th seems to think, and that this girl, who by all accounts is very pretty and charming, and a marvellous pianist, has been lured out to act as maid and housekeeper, and save the pocket of Herr Krauss. Now, as I have two legacies, I want to know if you will take one of them off my hands. As if my hands were not full? Yes, officially, only. Now I offer you your choice. Which will you have, Shafto or the girl? You need scarcely ask. I'll take the girl, of course, and leave you Shafto. 
"'Oh, you are an old silly!' she exclaimed, ruffling up his grizzled hair. "'I wonder which one of us will have the better bargain.' With regard to the subject of Mrs. Gregory's conversation, Douglas set to work with the proverbial enthusiasm of a new broom, and soon became, as Salter had predicted, a cog in the whirling wheels of a machine. But Thursday, being the station holiday, he hired a taxi, and had himself driven out to Coquine, in order to call on Mrs. Krause and Miss Lee. Unfortunately, his journey proved to be a waste of time and money. The leisurely servant, who emerged from the entrance of Heidelberg, salver in hand, accepted his visiting card with a salam, and then announced with stolid unconcern, Mrs. Cantsee. End of chapter 13